0: in this week's market update. A big week for data here in the UK, but also in China. Earnings season gets into full swing with more banks in focus. And where next for the pound? Well, after the Easter break, the data releases are cranking up again this week with a particular focus on the UK and China. Here, the main number to watch will be Wednesday's inflation print, which is finally expected to show a meaningful decline after several months in which the UK has seemed to be an inflationary outlier. Recent readings in the US and Europe have shown a reduction in the rate of inflation, but last month price rises unexpectedly accelerated here to 10.4% year on year. This week's reading for March is expected to be 9.8%, with the core inflation number that excludes volatile food and energy prices also lower at 6%, compared with 6.2 in February. The main driver, excuse the pun, will be lower petrol prices, but less supply chain disruption and lower shipping costs will play their part too. Things like clothing and furniture will benefit from lower transport costs. The Bank of England will obviously be keeping an eye on Wednesday's inflation number in the run-up to its next rate-setting meeting on the 11th of May. It will also be watching Tuesday's labour market data, which is expected to show a small increase in the unemployment rate and a slowdown in wage growth. Rising wages are key to the underlying inflation rate because a pay spiral is how inflation becomes entrenched, triggering a vicious cycle of higher prices, leading to rising pay demands, leading to companies being forced to put their prices up to protect margins, etc, etc. At the moment, the next interest rate call by the Bank of England is considered a 50-50, with the consensus split between another quarter point rise, probably the last in the cycle, and no change. The final piece of UK data this week comes on Friday. As with jobs and inflation data, the retail sales number will provide a key input to the bank's rate-setting decision. The other country in the spotlight from an economic data perspective this week is China. Tomorrow sees the announcement of the first quarter GDP number, with expectations high that it will confirm the benefit of China's recent post-COVID opening up. Recent data have shown a sharp rise in exports after a five-month run of contraction. That was unexpected, and combined with good manufacturing and services data, it suggests that the Q1 number could come in pretty hot. The median forecast is for a 3.9% rise in GDP year on year, but there are some analysts forecasting as much as 4.9%. Other than the data releases this week, the main focus will be on earnings, which many see as the key determinant of what happens to markets this year. The first quarter earnings season got underway at the back end of last week with a handful of banking results, the highlight of which was a better than expected report from JP Morgan. That sets the scene for a string of bank results this week, including Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley and Bank of America. Credit card group American Express is also due to announce. Banks are even more in the spotlight this quarter than usual, thanks to the recent sector turmoil following the collapse of a few smaller banks in the US, such as Silicon Valley and Signature, and the rescue takeover of Credit Suisse by UBS. So far, fingers crossed, it looks as if the problems in March were more company-specific than systemic, but it remains too early to dismiss the possibility of more widespread problems. The nature of these kinds of financial shocks is that issues emerge in unexpected places. One of those in recent days has been Charles Schwab, the giant discount broker in the US. Again, the problem looks company-specific, Like SVB, Schwab appears to have taken a biggish bet on the bond market, which has been uncovered by the rapid rise in interest rates in America. Essentially, it slashed its dealing fees to zero, counting on being able to reinvest its customers' cash holdings in bonds to offset the lack of trading revenue. Rising interest rates meant that its bond holdings fell in value at the same time as its customers moved their money into higher yielding investments. Unable to sell its bonds, which are now underwater, it's been forced to take out more expensive loans to cover $43 billion worth flowing out of its accounts in just the fourth quarter of 2022. That situation probably worsened in the first quarter of this year. Results are due this week. Looking at the markets more generally, investors seem to be locked into wait and see mode. Shares finished higher last week but they're still in a sideways range that's persisted since last summer. Within that overall picture it's still the large caps which are driving things with smaller companies very much at the bottom of their range. Everyone is basically waiting on two key factors. When will the Fed pivot to easier policy and how well will earnings hold up this year? Both are dependent on the stickiness of inflation and whether or not we head into recession this year or early next. The earnings picture is still not clear. Although profits are expected to be marginally lower than a year ago, top line sales numbers are holding up pretty well. The question is, how long can that last? With bond yields continuing to point pretty unambiguously towards recession. The inversion of the yield curve, short yields being higher than long ones, is telling us that the Fed has been and continues to be too aggressive and that this will lead to a sharp economic downturn in due course. To put that in context, the gap between the 10-year Treasury yield and those on both two-year Treasuries and three-month bills is wider than it was before the recessions in the early 90s, the dot-com bust, the financial crisis and the pandemic. If we manage to pull off a soft landing, it will require a rewriting of the investment rulebook. The odds on a recession within 12 months are now 57%, according to the New York Fed. One reason why rising rates may not yet have hit the wider economy is that so much debt was taken on in the form of fixed-term loans in 2020 and 2021, when rates were at rock bottom. Those loans have just not yet rolled over, but of course they will in due course. If the U.S. does head into recession, then something we're likely to see is a continuation of the recent fall in the value of the dollar as U.S. interest rates start to come down again. One of the key beneficiaries of this could be emerging market shares, which tend to do well when the dollar falls. Emerging markets have underperformed U.S. shares for many years, but now they are back in favour on the back of currency forecasts, the reopening of China's economy and much cheaper valuations than in the U.S. Another consequence of a weaker dollar could be a continuation of the recent rally in the value of the pound, now trading at about $1.25. During the turmoil that surrounded Liz Truss's short-lived tenure in Downing Street last autumn, there was much speculation about whether the pound would actually fall to parity with the dollar. It came close at one point. The recent rally in the pound is mainly the flip side of the dollar's fall rather than any real confidence in the UK economy, which remains under pressure. We can see this because against the euro, the pound has been much more stable. Much will depend on whether the Fed and the Bank of England decide to pause in May. The respective central bank meetings are a week apart, with the Fed going first on the 4th and the Bank a week later on the 11th.